The scripture reading today is Matthew 8, 1 through 4. When he came down the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured from, of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I love that this is the story that comes next in the book of Matthew. If you remember the beginning of the book of Matthew, I said that Matthew isn't written chronologically. Now, everything isn't necessarily one after another the way it happened in Jesus' life. It's uh, more topical. And where he just finished going through with us Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, the last thing Jesus just taught on top of the mountain was the wise person is like someone who hears the words of Jesus and what? And obeys. The obedient person is the wise person who feels like their foundation in life is solid. Then Matthew says, when he came down the mountain, he met with somebody who was super obedient and had everything together and said, that's the kind of person I want to help. Is that what David just read? No, he values obedience, but he'll touch anybody. He'll touch anybody. That's today's story. It's a quick little story about Jesus being approached by a man with a skin disease or um, you know, a tissue disease that is apparent outwardly. And he asks for healing. And I hope, I pray the Lord has something for you in, in this story. But before we really get to the passage, to, to understand the, the meaning, to get what we should from this passage, I think we have to use our imagination a little bit. A mix of what we know from the Scripture and what maybe we have to imagine. Because I, what, I, what I think we need to do to get what the Lord would have for us from this passage is try and understand what the Lord did for this guy. And to do that, we have to try to walk in his shoes a little bit, try to empathize with him a little bit, to know what kind of life he was living when he came to Jesus. I think we have to understand a couple of topics to grasp this passage. One is leprosy in first century Israel. And the other is um, uncleanness, what it meant to be unclean in Jesus's day. So that's, if you'll bear with me a little bit, I I want to, some of the stuff I'm going to say today, I can't prove from the scriptures. But I think it's okay that sometimes we try to picture ourselves in somebody's shoes like this. Here's why I think this is important, why we want to understand the life of the leper. It's hard for us to grasp what living his life would have been like. 
I'm convinced if we could like get a clipboard and get in a time machine and go back to first century Israel and walk around and ask people, I'm going to give you two choices. You have to pick one of these two. You could either get a quick death or you could have 25 more years of life, but you have to live as a, with leprosy. That's your choices. You could die two months from now, quickly, quietly in your sleep or 25 years living with leprosy. I'm convinced, though I can't prove it, that a lot of people would tell us, I'll take the the quick exit. That's how bad leprosy was. One uh, commentary writer called living with leprosy in the first century, walking death. It was like Living with, another commentary writer said, living with leprosy was like living with a visible, contagious cancer. I'd imagine if you had some life-altering, life-threatening disease that people could see and they knew if they touched you or touched something that you touched, they could get what you've got. That's what this is like. Now, how do we know what it was like to live with leprosy? There are still leper colonies today in certain places in the world. Some of them operate in some ways similar, but there are differences. We're not going to do it today, but if we would turn to Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, those are the leprosy chapters of the law. 116 verses on nothing but leprosy. What qualifies as leprosy? Um, what to, how to treat people who have it, what you would have to do or I would have to do if we were the one who had this, what to do if it by chance ever cleared up. Two chapters on nothing but leprosy. Um, it makes clear in, in those two chapters that what we call leprosy today is Hansen's disease is one specific thing. Back then... That obviously would qualify. This is, you know, folks with, you know, you just start to kind of rot and you have fingers that fall off and sometimes hands and toes and um, even uh, noses and ears. Um, And that was a legit thing. But anything, according to Leviticus 13, any condition that left your skin scaly, discolored, swollen, infected, etc., would qualify as at least a leprous spot. And what the law said, if you had a, something that qualified, you were to go to a priest. So you could go to the temple if you lived in Jerusalem, but you probably would go to your local synagogue like this guy must have. And you're supposed to show that area of skin, that spot, to a priest. And the priest would make a declaration about that, a judgment about that, that would have grave effects on your life and that of your family. Because he would either declare you to be clean or to be unclean. He would declare that spot would render you either clean or unclean. Sometimes there was middle ground. If he said clean, it's just like, sweet, I go home, life as normal, at least temporarily. 
There was middle ground described in those chapters where if you went and the priest went, you know, it's kind of a marginal case. Not really sure. And then according to those, the leprosy handbook in the Old Testament law, you were supposed to live for seven days in isolation and then go back. That would have been a long seven days. Because if a priest declared you to be unclean, for the most part, that would be a life sentence, practically speaking. It would change your life radically forever. Now, what does it mean to be declared unclean in first century Israel? Well, first, it doesn't mean, it's not like being declared sinful or wrong or anything like that. Um, what it was as a picture of God's holiness. You know, approaching God in the Old Testament, you approach God at the temple or before that, the tabernacle. And there was a lot of steps you had to go through to make sure everything was right. And you had to give these offerings and these washings and all this stuff because God is so holy, you have to be careful how you approach him. And when people were ceremonially unclean, that was, you couldn't approach God through religious worship. It doesn't mean God didn't like people um, or they'd fall into judgment. It was a picture of God's holiness and how easy it is for people to fall short of that. Being unclean wasn't uncommon at all. In fact, everybody would, go, would experience times of their life where they were ceremonially, ritually unclean. It was super, super easy to become unclean. There are normal, um, just regular bodily processes that would render someone unclean. Um, if you touched a dead animal, and that could be sometimes in the, like the butchering process, if you were going to make something out of, of the hide of an animal, you became unclean. If you helped with a funeral, you became unclean. If you had to help someone because they were going through something that made them unclean, it made you unclean. It's just that in most cases, the, the sort of cure for being unclean is usually called a wash and a wait. There was some sort of ceremonial washing you had to do. Sometimes it was a literal washing. You had to take a good bath. And then you had to wait a prescribed number of hours or, or days. And you'd be clean again and you, and you go right on. But you have to be really careful during your period of uncleanness. Say you, you helped you know, bury someone before a funeral, which is how they did it. Um, you'd be unclean for a certain period of time. And if you're not careful, uncleanness can spread through the community like wildfire. Because if I'm unclean and I go shake your hand, guess what you are? Unclean. And then you go shake three other people's hands who shake five other people's hands and holy smokes. Before long, the whole community has to shut down and isolate and be very careful until our period of uncleanness uh, is over. That's what made things so difficult for a leper. Practically speaking, when someone went and saw a priest, do you think if, if this is the... A leper was perpetually, continually unclean as long as he or she had this spot. And in those primitive medical conditions, for the most part, it didn't go away. Just practically speaking, think, it, 
Do you think people went to see the priest to get this judgment at the first sign of any skin discoloration? Or do you think by the time somebody went to the priest, they probably already knew you know, what was going to happen? And, and, and by the time someone gets declared a leper, you just, that was just going to be a life sentence. And here's what it looked like. This is from Leviticus chapter 13. Anyone with such a defiling disease, this contagious skin thing, must... I call this the leprosy lights and siren. If you get declared to be a leper, you have to put on your lights and siren so that people can tell from a distance by look and by sound that you are unclean, you're a leper. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. They must let their hair be unkempt. I would have a problem with that one. They must cover the lower part of their face, which was different than the way most people would do it. So this part is uncovered. This part is covered. And then here comes the siren part. So they look different. And then they have to cry out whenever they're around somebody that's, that's clean. They have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And it says as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp when this was written. And so in Jesus' day, outside of town. That's what a leper colony was. Some of this is for religious ritual. Some of this is public health. I mean, what would we do if, if I had visible contagious cancer that was spread through physical contact and contact with other things I contact. Where, where would you want me to live? In your apartment building? This was the life of a leper. And this was not a suggestion. This was not best practices. This is the law Remember, the Old Testament law is not just a religious book. It's the constitution of a nation. So if you have this and don't live like this, you're liable to punishment. If you let a leper live in your house, inside of town, out of the kindness of your heart, you are breaking the law and liable for punishment. This is the life this leper is living. He's a full-on leper. He doesn't have a spot that may go away. He's got the life sentence. He lives alone only with other lepers. Not a member of society. With very little hope that that will ever change. History tells us lepers sometimes try to keep in contact with their family from a distance. A lot of times this was, it's a little bit like family members going to visit someone in prison. There's a distance, there's separation. It may not be a glass wall and a phone, but it's, hey, I'm, I'm the required distance outside of town. And hey, hey, dad, how you doing? Maybe it's my wife, the kids. How you guys doing? Hanging in there? Sometimes lepers were supported 
by their families where they would have to come and leave stuff like in no man's land and back away? How much fun would those meetings have been? Most probably, and this is the part I don't know, this guy is a full-on leper. He lives separately. That's how he lives. Most probably, if he's the average leper who had been the average Jew, he hadn't always been like this. This is the part I want us to, to understand that's, that may be from our imagination and, and maybe he was born this way, but, all, but very few were and still alive. Probably this guy had a life before he became a leper. I don't know how old he was when whatever happened, but at some point, maybe he noticed, man, I sure have been scratching this spot on my arm more and more lately. And my, in my mind's eye, the way I see this is, he ignores that spot for a long time. Half because I'm sure this is nothing and I'm sure this will go away and half because he's terrified that it is something and it won't. And at some point something happened. Some line was crossed where he decided I can't ignore this anymore. I got to go see a priest. Maybe if he's married with kids, maybe he decides, I am making my family unclean. I'm putting my kids at risk for catching this life sentence that I very well could be under. And so somehow he gets to the decision where I can't ignore this anymore. And I've got to go see the priest. And again, I, I don't know this, but there's, to me, there's just no way he'd takes that step until he knows he's not coming back. That's a long walk to the synagogue. I imagine him at least thinking on the way, maybe I'll just tell everybody I went and saw the priest. And he said it was okay. You know, maybe he's been outed by this point. Maybe somebody at work saw that spot, how it spread back past his shoulder, down past his elbow. His sleeves aren't covering it anymore. Maybe somebody saw it and said, what are you doing? you got to get out of here. Maybe he thinks about lying and saying the priest said it's okay. But how long can that work? If he's the the average leper who'd been the average Jew, he had a job. Probably whatever his dad did. They they grew stuff or they made stuff. Maybe his dad was a stonemason or a potter. Maybe they farmed or kept a vineyard or an olive orchard. Maybe, like I said, maybe he was married, maybe he had kids. But someday, one day, he had to say goodbye and know he wasn't coming back. Another thing in my mind's eye I wonder about, when he hugged his mama, when he hugged his wife goodbye, how hard did she hug him? Did, did, 
Did she get the, did he get the, I don't care what this costs. I'm going to give you one last hug. Or did he get an awkward half hug? Because even though I love you, I really don't want to touch you. And he's lived separate from his family. Maybe seeing these at a distant visits. And seeing the mixture of pity and shame and horror and fear in the people he used to do life with. And for however long he lived that life, whatever that last hug was he got before he left home was the last meaningful human contact he had. With the possible exception of someone else that was in his state. But for the most part, if we had different things, we don't want to cross-contaminate either. He didn't have handshakes. He didn't have hugs. He didn't have pats on the back. He lived in a colony with other people in his same situation. And they were separate little mini-societies. A little bit like, again, like American prison. (laughs) You know, they, they kind of do life together, but it's not where any of them want to be. I imagine them sitting around because it's human nature. They had to have these conversations. Hey, what are you going to do when your skin clears up? Just like prisoners today, what are you going to do when you get out of here? It's a mixture of you know, joy to think about and pain to realize it probably is never going to happen. And then one day through the leper grapevine, they hear about this guy named Jesus. Chapter 4 tells us he's already had, Jesus has already had a ministry of healing people of all kinds of stuff. And his name has traveled throughout Galilee. And at some point, this guy, maybe he hears around a campfire, hey, I heard Jesus was in town. Maybe he's heard it before, and it was never true. And all of a sudden, maybe there's a flicker of hope. Hey, this guy, Jesus, people say he's some kind of prophet or something. He heals people. There are crippled people who are walking. There are blind people who are seeing. Maybe he can heal me. There's a big obstacle to that in his case. And that's this. You can't go where Jesus is. I picture a more pragmatic leper around the fire. Like crushing the dreams of people considering being healed by Jesus. Going something like this. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. The, the traveling rabbi who, who heals everybody's family members. People are just going to let you waltz right up to him and defile and contaminate the, the miracle worker. Good luck with that. It's never going to happen. They're going to look at your torn clothes, your messed up hair, and you screaming, unclean, unclean, and give you a ticket right to the front of the line. But this leper in today's passage, he was either really brave or really desperate or both. And he apparently decided, this is my one chance I'm not going to get healed. This isn't clearing up. 
And I believe Jesus can help, so I'm going for it. And listen, if I get stoned to death for approaching him, would that really be so bad? And we're not told how this went down. But apparently he sees who must be Jesus at a distance. Maybe he's healing some people. There's crowds around him. Maybe he is literally coming right down from the mountain with that huge amazed crowd behind him. It's like, this is my shot. I'm going for it. He probably is expecting as he runs toward Jesus, he probably decides, I'm not going to yell out unclean, unclean this time. He's a lawbreaker. He's not an obedient Jew as he approaches the clean and his uncleanness. He's probably waiting for the stones to start flying at any minute or the canes to start swinging. But he probably decides, like, nobody's really going to get in my way anyway. Who's going who's to tackle me? Nobody. And we're told in verse 2, That he comes to Jesus, he bows down before Jesus. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. My guess is, as he's bowed there, he's scared to death, waiting for the abuse that's sure to come. As people back away, <laughs> but surely scream and yell at the same time. This guy has just like accosted Jesus, like the walking dead. And while he sits there and waits, verse 3 tells us the most amazing thing any Jew could ever have imagined and that certainly the most amazing thing any Jewish leper could have ever imagined happens. And I love the way Matthew says it. This is the part where if this is a movie, we, the, the camera zooms in on just Jesus' hand and it goes to super slow-mo. And Matthew says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touches on purpose a leper. How long has this guy been in this state? Six months? Three years? That's the first warm touch since that day he left home and got that hug or half hug from his mom, from his wife, from whoever it was. Instead of stones and kicks and cane swings, he gets a touch from Jesus. Again, in, in my, I, I see him flinching <laughs> and then understanding there's compassion in that touch. Part of me thinks that would have been enough. You know, it's been a long time since I got anything from a clean person besides scorn and pity and fear. But then Jesus goes one further. In verse 3, he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was gone. Here's how I picture this going down. He's bowed down before Jesus. Maybe, again, I don't know, but, but maybe just maybe, because this would be just like Jesus, maybe Jesus touched him on that very first spot he started to notice years before. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean, be clean. And at first it takes a minute 
because it's not what he's expecting to hear. And it takes a minute and finally it registers. And because we know he's wearing torn clothes, it doesn't take him very long to like flop his shirt down and, and look at his body. And I, I, he couldn't have been more surprised if his arms and legs would have been made of pure gold. Because for the first time in, since he left home, since before then, like his skin is just clear. It's clean. He's healed. He's normal. He's acceptable. It was a miracle. Now I have no way of knowing how accurate some of those details are. But here's what I do know. Jesus did not have to touch that guy to heal him. If you don't believe me, come back next week because Jesus is going to heal somebody without even being in the same vicinity. He's just going to give, say the word and, and back home the guy gets healed. Jesus didn't need to touch this man to heal him. Jesus wanted to touch this man. And catch this, Jesus could have done this. He could have healed him, made him clean first and then touched him. He still could have been first. That still would have been cool. Jesus wanted to touch this man at his lowest, at his dirtiest, in his shame. He wanted to touch the untouchable. Because that's how Jesus works. Then in verse 4, Jesus tells this newly healed, almost born again, one might say, leper. Tells him not to tell anybody. I don't want you going on a speaking tour or anything like that. I want you to go show yourself to the priests and and do do what the the Old Testament said um, in Leviticus 13 and 14 to be declared clean again. You know why? Jesus wants this guy to go home. Go do what the law requires so you can go home. But then Jesus says this, I want you to go and show yourself as a priest to the priests as, as a testimony to them. Why is this miracle healing a testimony to priests at the synagogue? Here's why. Whoever, whoever the priest is on duty at the synagogue is about to see something he's never seen before. Torn clothes, unkept hair. He's dressed like a leper. He looks like a leper, but he's not a leper. He's like in a, in a leper Halloween costume because this dude's, this dude's clean. And he walks into the synagogue and says, hey, can we do the, we do the, the thing? Can we do the, the, the washings? And can we do the sacrifices? Because I can go home. I, I'm, I'm healed. And even if he's obedient and doesn't tell this priest how this healing took place, here's the question in that priest's mind. What happened to this guy? Because he got better apart from us, apart from the law. So here's what the Old Testament, here's what the law could do. Here's what the law is for. 
the law, you can hold a person up to the law. We can turn to, in this case, Leviticus 13 and 14 and look at the symptoms in this person's life and compare it to here. And we can decide based on the law whether this person's clean or unclean. We can hold you or me up to the law and we can decide whether you or I are a sinner or if we're a righteous person. The law can give the diagnosis if there's something wrong, but the law can't do a thing about it. And this guy's walking proof that healing and cleansing doesn't happen through the law. Here's why I love that this sermon, this, this story comes next. Jesus says, I want you to be obedient, but don't get the wrong idea. That's not what makes you clean. I make people clean. And I don't wait till people get clean before I touch their lives. I don't keep my hands off of them until they've got things figured out and straightened out and are on the right track. I want to touch you at your worst. If there's anything we learn from this passage, and this is what I want you to take home today, it's this. At your lowest and at your worst, you have never for one second been too yucky for Jesus. I I don't know what is in your past that you walked in here this morning. If I asked you to get out pen and paper and write down your deepest, darkest, lowest, nastiest, rottenest moments, I don't know what you would write down. But here's what I do know. You weren't then and you aren't now too yucky for Jesus. I don't know what makes you ashamed. I don't know what makes you, what you cover up with the long sleeves of secrecy because you think if anybody ever knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me, they couldn't love me, they wouldn't be around me. But here's what I do know. You're not too yucky for Jesus. You're not unlovable or unworthy or too disobedient. So what do we do with that information? I'd say this first. Don't wait until you're ready to come meet Jesus. You come when he is near. And we watched a movie last night about a girl who probably thought she had her whole life in front of her. Then she went to school on April 20th, 1999 and never came out. Don't wait till you're ready for Jesus. Jesus makes people, don't wait till you're acceptable. Don't wait till you got your stuff together. Don't wait till your kids graduate. Don't wait till anything. When he's knocking on the door of your heart, you you go. Don't hang on to unclean things in your life that you like, that you think, he will make me give up if I come to him. He's better. And then you just do what this leper did. You say, to heck with what I've always done. To heck with what people expect. I'm going to run and fall down before Jesus. I'm going to kneel. Just a way of saying, you are above me. 
I'm going to admit my need for you and my belief that you can fix me. Maybe, maybe you have never come to Jesus at all. Maybe you've heard a lot about him, like the leper in the leper colony. Maybe you thought, hey, it would be cool if he would do something awesome in my life. Maybe you've never come before him and said, my biggest problem is I'm, I'm a sinner. Like I'm lost and I need to be saved and I believe you can do that. Maybe you did that a long time ago and you meant it. And you're a redeemed person. But maybe you still hang on to things that make you ashamed. That you try to hide, try to cover. Um, maybe this morning Jesus was saying to you, who do you think you're hiding that from? I know. I want to touch you at, at your worst. Maybe this morning you need to come bow before him and admit what is unclean. Ask him to touch and restore. We're going to do something a little differently at the end here. Stephanie's going to come up. She's going to sing our last song, and we're just going to have some time to hang out with the, with the Lord. Um, so while she comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close us in prayer. And she's just going to sing, and I'm just going to lead you into a time. In case there's something you need to expose to the Lord this morning, why don't you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I just, I'm so grateful that you told us a week ago how important obedience is in our lives to make our life feel stable. And then you turn right around and tell us this week, we don't need any kind of obedience or cleanness for you to care about us, for you to touch us, for, uh, for you to accept us. Lord, you became unclean to make that leper clean. And that's what you did at the cross. You took our uncleanness, our sin on yourself that we might be cleansed. So Lord, I'm going to quit talking now, but I ask that you would spend some real time with your with the folks here, my friends, my family. Lord, the uh, we just, as a group, we've got some stuff to bring to you to admit where we're unclean. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that has never come before you and, and believed in you for salvation, I pray you would just lead them. Just come and kneel before you and say, if you are willing, you can save me because you died under the punishment of my sin. Lord, I'll trust you to do the work between you and and people who love you. Accept us in our uncleanness in Jesus' name. Amen.